Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, government, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. These are the words of the Lord, and I know you are thankful to God for them. We don't have to say it. Uh, how many of you thought, is this Christmas already? Like, uh, what happened? Did I just completely miss the fall? Um, no, you did not. Um, believe it or not, Isaiah did not write that for Christmas time. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is, um, is a really key figure in our story and uh, in the story and the announcement of Jesus. And so we're spending a few weeks in Isaiah uh, talking about the things to come. It's a very important thing that a prophet does in pointing us outside and above our circumstances to those things that are on their way, to the future that is coming. I, I want to ask you this question. How many of you feel a certain, you don't have to raise your hand at this point, but how many of you feel a certain measure of hopelessness about what's happening in our world today? This is a I know it's a terrible way to start a sermon um, uh, because you just kind of, maybe it'd be great to just pretend like everything's okay for an hour or so, and then, and then we go back. But we can't do that, can we? We just bring our whole selves in, and, and along with ourselves, we bring our burdens, and we bring the things that bother us. And if we're being honest... Many, if not most, or all of us come in with some level of hopelessness about various things that we see happening in the world. The sermon will get more encouraging as we go. So we're going to start here, though, this morning and recognizing that hopelessness. So when you think about the world, I want you to try to think about maybe one thing in particular that puts you in a state of denial or anger or bargaining or depression or just flat-out sort of exhausted acceptance. And if you've been through any sort of grief, you know that these are the stages of grief. So think about any, anything in the world that makes you feel any of those things, okay? I really want you to, to think about it. This isn't rhetorical. Is there one thing in particular in all of the things... Is there one thing in particular about the world that you are grieving today? In your mind, can you identify what that thing is. I'm just going to give you a second. And when you've identified something, I want you to just nod, okay? I'll know, and then we'll move on when every single person has nodded. Actually, I don't think I can do that, but just if you've got something, just nod, okay? Okay? Okay, great. So um, I, I want to see how many of you are willing to take a risk. What is it? Um, would you mind just sharing out loud, what is the one thing about the world that t today you feel a certain measure of hopelessness? Somebody just yell something out. Homelessness. We see that a lot. Just getting to church is a, is a challenge. Immigration. We feel hopeless about 
the welcome of our country and all the complexity involved and the pain involved in that. What else? Okay, religious killings, people being targeted all over the world for their faith. Somebody else. There's more than three. What's that? Racism, the bigotry that is just in our faces and in many ways has been sort of the, the, the veil on that if there was one has been pulled back in a big way in the last several years, hasn't it? And we deal with it every single day. We see it every single day and it makes us feel terrible, right? Okay, what else? Environment, okay? Polar caps melting and all sorts of destruction happening. We've got uh, uh, Alex who, uh, in our community, who's a scientist who's in China right now, traveling and looking at, studying the human impact on the environment, obviously a passion of his and of ours that we would care for and steward, God's creation. What else? A lot more people nodded. Now, listen. The longer we wait, the longer the sermon's going to be. Paige? What's that? Political deception on all sides, on all fronts, coming from everywhere through Facebook right to your home. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you work for Facebook, we love you. Keep doing God's redemptive work there. Okay. All right, Paige. Social media addiction. Right. Physical ailments, literally, neck hurting, but more than that, the emotional, we don't know, right? We don't know the, the fallout of what this is going to be on our lives or on our culture or on our communities. There are one or two more. Yeah? Are you talking about me or are you talking about not my, just general selfishness? Yeah, yeah. When you have a, a country founded on some of the ideals that our country is founded on, it sort of ends, if you play that out, it ends in a place of real, utter, true independence where it becomes all about us and we're rewarded for that. Right, okay, maybe one more. Monica, cancer, sickness, death, all of this stuff, in spite of all the advances we have in modern medicine and technology, we can't completely eradicate those things that uh, affect us all, regardless of how healthy we believe that we are, how well we take care of ourselves or our bodies. Yeah, we're all at risk. Yeah, thank you for sharing those things and, and being, being vulnerable this morning. I'm grieving many of those things too. Uh, for me, I, I, have, I have a different one. I, I'm, I'm grieving the way that we villainize anyone who sees things differently than we see it. I feel a measure of hopelessness about the ability to, for disagreeing people to have kind, generous, and loving conversations, whether it be about those disagreements or not. One way or another, we, I think, all, again, have some measure of, of hopelessness about the things that we see in the world. And, and that, that measure of, of hopelessness is often tempered by maybe our immediate circumstance. So we, to, to sort of escape or, or, or not pretend, but in order to live in some sort of hope, maybe if we're living in, in, in a moment where of a personal blessing or of some sort of provision, that might, might just for a moment enable us to escape that sense of just pervasive hopelessness that seems to be in, in our world. And, um, but we all know that it's, it's still there, no matter how well or how personally blessed we might be. So I, I want you to hear now, in that context, and, and from that place, I want you to hear these 
uh, for some of you, what will be really familiar words of Jesus today, but I want you to hear them in a fresh way. I, I want you to hear them from this place of real, uh, of, of real hopelessness, of, of real longing for things to change. And, and the, the verse I want to read to you, these words of Jesus come from Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. These are going to be very familiar to many of you. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, especially in our church, I think the familiarity of these words really does us a disservice as a community. So I want to point out a couple of things about what Jesus is actually saying. First, when Jesus says the time has come, This is what he's saying to his hearers. He's saying, you've been waiting for something big, and you've been waiting for it for a very long time, and the wait is now over. That's what Jesus is saying. And and now that this something, this thing you've been waiting for has happened, everything has changed because it has happened. The whole world is a different place. So when Jesus comes announcing uh, the, the, uh, saying to his hearers that the time has come. He's saying, this is it. It's the moment you've been waiting for. Second, Jesus is making an announcement. So Jesus in Mark's gospel, chapter one, verse 15, says the kingdom of God has come. This is, he says, good news. So Jesus has come to announce good news. And that's important because <clears throat> he hasn't come offering good advice. And sometimes we can treat Jesus in that way, that that's why he came, to just teach us the right way to live. And ultimately, yes, he does, but that's not the most important thing about what Jesus is doing. Jesus is announcing good news. Jesus hasn't come. He's not coming to establish a new religion. What we're a part of today has fallen out of the life and the resurrection and the death and the reign of, of, of Jesus. But Jesus didn't come in order to establish a new religion. Jesus came announcing good news. That's the second thing. Third, the good news that Jesus comes announcing is this. It's specific. The kingdom of God has come. And so let me try to tie those things together. Something big, the the something you've been waiting for a very long time, which has now come and changed everything, is called the kingdom of God. Now, we use that term a lot in our community. We talk about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. But what really is the kingdom? More importantly, what do we believe Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God or in Matthew's gospel where we read the kingdom of heaven? What, do, what does that term mean? What is Jesus, how does Jesus mean it? Well, we're to understand this heaven, this reign of God, or the kingdom of God, not as a physical realm, as often we think about heaven. That's not at all really what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about a physical place, but rather he's talking about, when he he uses the term kingdom, he's using it to refer to the full measure of God's authority and power and love. So whenever we say kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done, whenever we say kingdom in this church, this is how we understand it. 
This is what we understand it to be, and this is what we mean when we say that. What we say when we say your kingdom come is, God, would you come now in this church and in our lives and in our city and to this world, would you come with the full measure of your power and your authority and your love? That's what Jesus means. Jesus is announcing that in him, in the person, in the presence, in the appearing of Jesus, the totality of all of God, of of who God is, has suddenly and shockingly burst into the world, changing the course of human history forever. We're to understand that what had been promised long ago has now been fulfilled in this moment in history, in the person of Jesus This is how Jesus' hearers would have understood Jesus. Based on their history and the scriptures and their story, this is how they would have understood Jesus when he announced the kingdom has come. They would have understood that the power of the future age that had been promised to them has broken through into the present setting up a completely new reality for the world moving forward. And Jesus, in announcing the kingdom's arrival, what he's doing to it for his hearers, including us, is he's opening a door to this great new world, and he's inviting us to come in and to be a part of it with him. In this great new world, the love of God reigns. In this great new world that Jesus has announced, sadness is turned into joy. In this great new world, Mourning becomes dancing. In this great new world, those things that are hidden, they, they come to light or they're made known. In this great new world, the enemy is defeated. In this great new world, we have victory over sin and power over death. This is the announcement that God's people had been waiting for. Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise made long Ago. Now, specifically, we're looking at the prophet Isaiah, and so I want to invite you to turn in our app or in your Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen as well, to the, text, the teaching text that Onunihu read earlier this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. This is the familiar text, the birth announcing the, the, the impending or the future, the promise of the birth of Jesus. For to us a child is born. Remember, Isaiah is speaking as if it's happening right now, but he's pointing God's people to the future. He's making a promise. To us a son is given. One of us has come. And the government will be on his shoulders. There will be a political reality to the presence of Jesus when he comes to be among us. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government or his reign and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a massive promise to the people of God. Isaiah announces to God's people that the king is coming. Isaiah makes this promise to God's people in a time of great hopelessness. The people of God are living in darkness. In fact, that's a line in Isaiah that the people of God are living in a great darkness and 
and it's a line borrowed by the gospel writers to, to describe the kind and the level of hopelessness that God's people felt when this promise is made to them. So what does a promise do exactly? If I were to make a, a promise to you this morning, what, what would that promise actually do for you in, in your life? Well, depending on the promise, I guess, but the idea in general of a promise is that when a promise is made, we're able to live today, once the promise is made, in light of the fulfillment of that promise or in hope of what's coming. If I say to you, guys, I, I'm super excited about this. Uh, we've hired a Mr. Softy, and after the service, they're going to be pulled up right here, and immediately when we're dismissed, we've paid for the whole thing, free ice cream for everyone. That's not happening, but how amazing would it be? If it were true, and maybe I should have done that, but... Um, Thank, yeah, we'll figure something out later. So if that were true, you would ignore maybe everything else that I say for the rest of this sermon, and you would be living in the incredible hope of free ice cream from Mr. Softy after the service. Now, you haven't tasted the ice cream. You haven't seen the truck. You don't know if what I'm saying is exactly true, but because I've made the promise, you're now living in the hope of it, right? You're now living. I've created a new expectation for you. That's what a promise does, and that's exactly what the promise, although the stakes are much higher than cold ice cream on a hot, muggy August New York day. The stakes are much higher when Isaiah makes his promise to God's people that the king is coming. I was thinking about that this week, and I'm so glad that I'm old enough to, experience, to have experienced most of my life's kind of major moments before social media was a thing. Paige, you mentioned this is, feels, can feel a little bit hopeless, our addiction to it. I mean, marriage proposals now, they have to be on a gondola in Venice with the, with the ring selfie. You can't just announce that you're having a baby anymore. A few weeks later, you have, to, you have to have a confetti cannon gender reveal party. I wanna, it's just sad for me, for you, who are growing up in the social media age to have to live up to all of this. I'm not against any of these things. It just seems like a lot of pressure, and I'm sort of more of a low production sort of guy. So, but the point I want to make about this is this is all about announcing, all of the fanfare is about the announcement of news. And the point about news is that something is happening as a result of which everything is now going to be different. And what I, wanna, what I want you to understand this morning and what I'm trying to grow in my own life to understand is that hope, hope is found between what is and what is to come. If we feel hopeless, and I'll get to this a little bit more in a minute, it's because we haven't maybe taken the time to understand how to find hope. And what I want to do is just sort of illuminate a way back for us this morning as God's people to live from a place of hope. A wedding engagement, a pregnancy announcement, a graduation ceremony, all of these things, they are, they're great announcements that something is happening, unveiling a new future, and it's generating an interim time between the event itself and the ultimate future. And so what news is Jesus announcing here in Mark's gospel? Well, the news that Jesus is announcing about the kingdom coming is rooted in the scriptures. And because of scriptures like Isaiah 9, 
we understand that the news that Jesus is announcing is that God as is at last taking his authority and his power and his love, and he's beginning to reign in the real world. I want to make sure we don't forget or look past the fact that Isaiah wrote these words of promise 700 years before Jesus shows up as the fulfillment in Mark's gospel. And what I want you to see this morning is that God's people always live in the interim time between promise and fulfillment. This is our calling. This is strategic. This is what God has for us, his people. Our hope is never in that which has been. Though we often look back to our past to try to relive or recapture some of the glory that we once experienced. Our real hope can't be found in that which has been. Our hope is never in that which is. And we can try really hard and find signs and glimpses of hope, but real, lasting, eternal, foundational hope cannot be found in that which is. Our hope is always, always, always in that which is to come. And so if anything this morning, I want to call us to live in our future hope. And as God's people, to be a people of hope. So I'm going to talk about that. When we struggle, I can't get to that yet. When we struggle to live in hope, it may be that we are living in that which has been. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Uh, in his letter to the Philippians, this is chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Guilt and shame over our past renders many followers of Jesus incapable of hope or incapable of hoping, at least for very long. Because before long, we are dragged by guilt and shame over our past in, back into what has been. We can't, like Paul, forget about what was behind and strain toward what is ahead because what's behind has a grip on our lives. So just pause and ask yourself this morning, do I struggle with hope because of that which has been? When we struggle to live in hope, it's often because of that which has been. Secondly, when we struggle to live in hope, it may be that we are living in that which is. That we have for too long been focused on the hopelessness all around us. Listen, I want you to hear, when I was reminded of these words this week, they, they hit me like a soft rebuke. It's the words of Paul again, this time to the Corinthian church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, is Paul saying we shouldn't have hope for this life? That is not what he's saying. And please hear me this morning because so many of you work in justice and in mercy and in peace 
desiring a new reality for the people that you work with day in and day out. Paul is not saying that there is not hope to be found for this life. And I'm not saying that. What Paul is saying, if we only have hope for this life, then we are most to be pitied because injustice and bigotry and racism and incarceration and poverty and homelessness and war and slavery and exploitation and sexual violence, it's all very, very hopeless. And some of us struggle to live in hope because we live in the darkness of what is. The truth is that we will always struggle to live in hope when we only live in that which was or that uh, which is. And so now I want to begin to, to point you to an, a new way of being human. I, I want to point you back to Jesus now. Let's come back to Mark's gospel and then the announcement of Jesus that the kingdom has come. And, and I want to unpack this a little bit. How do we live as people of hope in a world that feels hopeless, even as we're working to see light and hope come into our world? When Jesus announces the good news, okay, that the authority and the power and the rescuing love of God has come to reign. That announcement, like every promise, including the promise of Isaiah that Jesus would come, Jesus' promise does the same thing that Isaiah's promise and every promise does. It unveils a new future, and it generates, in the announcement, Jesus is generating an interim time between the event itself, the kingdom has come, and the ultimate future, the ultimate fulfillment. So there is a very real sense in which Jesus announces the kingdom, and that kingdom is here now. Immediately after announcing the kingdom that is at hand, Jesus goes about demonstrating that it's actually here. So Jesus announces good news, the thing you've been waiting for and will change everything in your current reality and create this interim time, it's here now. We know it is because Jesus turns around and he demonstrates it by healing the lame and giving sight to the blind and setting the prisoner free. Jesus begins living in himself, living in the kingdom in the midst of, the context, of a context of great darkness or great hopelessness. Jesus shows us that the kingdom is available now. Well, there's another sense in which the kingdom is not yet. And we can get into trouble in living in, in the extremes, believing that either, A, the kingdom of God has not come, and we're all on our own, or the kingdom have, of God has come, and it's completely and totally here. We can get into trouble if we live in either of those two extremes. There's a sense in which Jesus, or the kingdom that Jesus announces is here now, and also a sense where it is not yet. The things that we talked about earlier, we shared together in this room, those things are still here, aren't they? They're not completely eradicated. Sickness and disease and slavery, and the list goes on and on. It abounds everywhere that Jesus goes, and it abounds everywhere that we go. So we should understand that it's a very important thing, that the kingdom is now, and it's not Yet, Jesus' announcement of the good news in Mark is full of promise, of the fulfillment of that promise. The kingdom is breaking in and it begins to spread. But there will be a day when it is finally 
complete. What begins in Jesus will be complete one day. And like God's people throughout history, you and I are called, this church community is called, maybe above all things, to live in the in-between, to live in the now and the not yet of God's reign on earth. What does that mean? I'll talk about that in a second. But praise God that in Jesus, we can live in hope now, not because of what is, but because we know what is to come. But what I want to say to you today is not only that we can live in the hope of what is to come, but we must live in the hope that is to come. Paul, again, in his second letter now to, this, to the Corinthians, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say that? He says that in the very beginning. That God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts. So the God that is powerful enough to speak light into existence takes that same powerful, authoritative, rescuing love of light and he puts it within us. He has put it in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What, the, what does that mean? It means that God's spirit has filled us with the light of Jesus. Christians, we carry with us and within us a light that is meant to shine in the darkness that's our purpose. We must live in the hope of that which is to come because the world is desperate for that hope. We must live in the hope and the light that is to come because this is the way by which God is giving hope to the whole world. It is first through his people and then through Jesus who comes through his people and in the church now today or through the church today because we are in Jesus. We are the continuation of God's plan to spread light and hope, his total reign over all the earth. We must live in the hope because that's what the world is desperate for, and this is by God's design. So listen. I want you to listen to the hope that the Apostle Paul talks about when he talks about the hopelessness of the world and how Christians are to live in light of that future hope. This is to the Romans now. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, where? In us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We have a massive part to play in God's redemptive process. We have a massive part to play in God reconciling New Yorkers to himself and to one another. What we understand about what Paul is saying, if we just pull out a couple of things, we understand that the darkness of that which is, is does not compare to the light that is to come. 
Paul says, I consider the present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Saying the darkness, as dark as it is, this isn't meant to, to sort of make less out of the darkness. It's meant to make more out of the light that is coming. The darkness is real and it's dark, but the light is coming and the darkness can't even compare to it. He also says here that creation is longing for the children of God to be revealed. Let's not shy away from our God-given mandate because it is for the hope of the world, a world that is dying for the children of God to be revealed. Why? Because we carry within us the hope of Jesus. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the hope that we carry within us, according to Paul, is that creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the kingdom. So I want you to create some space this morning. And I want you to think about this just for a second. What if the reason that God has blessed you with the job that you have is for the sole purpose of displaying the light of God's authority and power and rescuing love to the people you work with and to your clients. Number two, what if the reason that God has not released you from your current situation, you know, the situation you've been asking God to get you out of, whatever that is, what if the reason that God hasn't released you from your current situation yet is for the sole purpose of displaying the light of God's authority and his power and his rescuing love to the people around you right where you are right now? What if the reason that God has made a way for you to enter your program at Columbia or provided an apartment for you and your neighborhood, or open the door of relationship with other moms at the playground is for the sole purpose of displaying the light of God's authority and his power and his rescuing love. We're all living in the reality of that which is. But see, as followers of Jesus, we have something different, something that the world longs for. We have the hope of that which is to come I don't know what this is going to look like for us in this fall, but church, I'm calling us to be a church that lives in the hope that is to come. So what do we do with this this morning? How might we apply this or think about this in our own lives? Well, I want to flash forward a little bit in the story to the day when Jesus ascends to be with the Father. This is after his death. It's after his resurrection. It's after he's appeared to his followers over a time, and he's instructed his followers right before he ascends to heaven to wait for the Holy Spirit. And what he says to his followers is, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to this city, and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will fill you with power. If we're going to live in the hope of that which is to come, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to alert the world around us to the reign of God in Jesus, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is our calling to do that, 
to alert others to the, to the reign of God in Jesus. So what I want to suggest, and we'll do this this morning, but I want to suggest this as like every time we come together, we should be doing this. I want us to begin to do in this room what it is that we've been called to do outside of this room. I want us to begin to practice, in many ways we already do, but I want us to to do this with a, a new level of intentionality as a community. To begin practicing with one another the kind of thing that we've been called to do with those outside. So what I'm suggesting this morning and every time we get together is a couple of things. Why don't we wait first for the Holy Spirit? Rather than just rushing out to address the hopelessness that we see in our world? What if we wait for the Holy Spirit? What if we allow our lives to be emptied of the stuff that gets in the way in order to be filled then with the power of the Holy Spirit? So what if we wait on the Holy Spirit? What if we allow God to fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit? And then what if we really begin to bear witness to the hope of Jesus, beginning with one another? We're going to come to the table in just a minute, and we're going to receive the life of of Jesus this morning. Christians all over the world and for millennia have participated in the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper the table. We're going to come together this morning confessing Jesus. And what's beautiful, I think, about the table is it's an open invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to enter into this new reality that has been ushered in by Jesus, this new age that God has, that God has uh, brought to us. So we're going to come to the table and we're going to receive the life of Jesus. Everyone's invited to enter the kingdom this morning through the life of Jesus. So the invitation to, Jesus, uh, to, to this morning is to come to the table, to take the bread, to dip it in the cup, and to repent and believe the good news. Repent doesn't mean you have to somehow work yourself up and cry or be like, feel super guilty. Repent just means, look, you're living this way. Stop doing that. You're living in this story. Stop doing that. You're living in this reality. Stop doing that. Repentance is a word that just simply means to turn around and now start living in this way, in this story, in this narrative, in this reality. Let's come together to the table, receive Jesus, confess him, repent, and believe the good news that Jesus has really brought the reign of God. And the the last thing I just want to say is, if you need some hope this morning, and there are a lot of us that need some hope, if you need some hope this morning, I want to invite you to come to the front and just let somebody pray over you. They'll ask you what you want Jesus to do for you this morning, and then you just simply tell them, I want to be filled with the hope of God. I want to be filled with the hope of Jesus this morning. Maybe instead of coming to the front, you want to turn to a friend that you're with this morning and just invite that person to pray with you, to pray together. But in essence, what the Holy Spirit does is he deputizes us as his ministers, all of us, to minister the hope of Jesus to each other. So would you stand as we pray and we respond together this morning?